continue in a series entitled The Promise. Somebody say The Promise. I'm just like Pastor Philip. I'm cool like him, making you guys say things. And uh, The Promise. And I've really enjoyed this series personally. I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes, you know, we plan series weeks and months out. And every once in a while, series even line up with what Renee and I are going to walk through. And uh, we've needed, uh, we've been in a season of needing to reassure ourselves of the promises of God. And um, it doesn't matter how long you've been serving Jesus. It doesn't matter how faithful you've been. There's going to be struggles in life. And there's going to be moments where you need to remind yourself of this promise. And the reality is that Jesus is the ultimate promise. And we've been talking about this. How did he choose to come? How did God choose to send him? And um, we've been talking really in detail about Mary in particular. Uh, we talked about Mary and Joseph um, and, uh, and Elizabeth and Zachariah, how those stories were connected. And we talked about Mary's song, her prayer last week. Um, and this week we're going to continue on in the story. Um, but before we dive into the text, I think there's something, some groundwork that needs to be accomplished. Because um, there's sort of this simple rule of life. This is not just a Christian thing. This is just how life works. Um, and the reality is that the value of something, what something's worth, is the price or the sacrifice that people are willing to make for it right? So if I want to sell something online, I may go search what other people have bought a similar item for. Come on, in the world of used cars, we all go to Kelly Blue Book. What is the value? It's going to tell me because everyone has access to that website. No one's going to sacrifice more than what Kelly Blue Book tells me it's worth. And we can begin to peel back the layers of what something is worth is based on what people are willing to sacrifice for. To put it a little more succinctly, the less we value something, the less we are willing to sacrifice for it, right? If I value it less, I'm not gonna do that much for it. But if I have high value for something, I might be willing to sacrifice a lot for it. And, and, and for all of us, there's certain things that we inevitably will find ourselves paying more than the average person for. Like we are willing to drop a little bit more money on than the average person. It kind of depends on your personality. Like, let's be honest. Some of you are car people. Where's my car people at? Car people. You like cars. There's nothing wrong. This, I'm not, don't worry. I'm not going to do some pastoral trick and tell you cars are evil. Okay. You can say it's okay in church to tell me that you're a car person. Because I know you're a car person when your car is cleaner and better well-kept than your house. That's how you know. You're like, I care way more about my vehicle than my home. And then there's some house people. Where's the house people at? You're like, I'm going to spend the money on my house. I'm watching HGTV. I'm on Pinterest. And I'm going to drop the money on my home. And we're always going to be changing paint colors. And I'm going to be working on the home all the time. And getting new furniture. and Looking for deals. But I'm going to spend more on my home. Home. Some of you guys, you're vacation people. Come on, how many of you guys are like, there's uh, whatever money we need to spend, we are saving all year for our week in the Bahamas or wherever your spot is. Where's my vacation people at? You're like, I will pay more than the average person to get out of Minnesota in the winter. Like, get me out of here. And then there's vacation people. 
But there's actually a separation. There's vacation people and then there's travel people. And travel people are like, no, 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 I don't vacation, I backpack, okay? I'm on a mission to see the world. And I now have, I'm not even really American anymore because I've seen so much of the world. How many stamps do you have in your passport? I will spend all the money I can to make sure I got stamps so I can tell everybody about how I'm a world traveler and I've seen things and I've been places and they work it into every conversation. We're like, we know you went to Norway. It was great. Good job. Whoop-dee-doo, right? Like we're, it's just, everybody's got their passion, their thing that they're like all about. Come on, dude, you've got, some of you guys are tools people. You love tools. You will spend tons of money on the tools. And come on, there's some women in the place that love their tools. Come on. Hey, let's go. Come on. And you go, I want the better thing. I will spend more than the average person. I'm willing to sacrifice more, put more of myself into it. There's some of you guys that there are people in this room that you would say yes to anything they asked of you, right? You are. They're like, I would take a bullet for you. I'll do anything for them. And then there might be some people in the room, you're like, I don't know if I would help if they asked. No, that's not true, Pastor Sam. We'd all show up for everybody. But there's people you're willing to sacrifice for. There's things you're willing to sacrifice for. And what does it say? It says about how much you value that thing. What is the price tag that I'm willing to pay for that item. Come on, some of you guys are art people. I don't understand art. I'm gonna be honest with you. Target art looks great to me. But then there's people that they go and they study all of the, they go to these different shows and they understand art on an extreme level and they see this painting and they know why it's worth so much and I haven't developed an eye for it. So I might go and see it and go, I don't understand the value, but you do. And there's this understanding of it and this willingness to pay. And so the reality is, as we look at faith, there's got to be a little part of us that needs to ask the question of, how much do I value Jesus? And the answer is going to be found in how much you're willing to sacrifice for him. We know the price he was willing to pay for us. The real question is, what's the price I'm willing to pay for Jesus? What sacrifice am I willing to make? And there has been a question, church, that really dropped in my heart on my Sabbath on Monday. And it's kind of been haunting me all week in the best way. I can't shake it. Like it's right there. It's just on the forefront of my mind. And the question is this, am I willing to sacrifice as much for the person of Jesus as I am the promises of Jesus? Am I willing to sacrifice as much for just Jesus himself. Because it's a lot easier to sacrifice when there's something in it for you, right? It's a lot easier to sacrifice when you know you're going to get something in return. It's like when people try to act like working their job is a sacrifice. It's like, you're paid. It's not a sacrifice. Like, that's your job. Do your job. You know, like, you're getting paid. Sacrifice is when you're not getting anything in return. And you're paying a really high price. With, with an expectation that nothing is going to come back to me. Here's the reality. Mary and Joseph were faced with this reality, and here's why. Mary and Joseph had to say yes to the person of Jesus before they got to experience any of the promises of Jesus. He came as a baby. They were pregnant with the promise, and he was yet to die for them. He hadn't done anything for them. And yet here they are having to carry this child bring it into the world and figure out how to raise the Savior. They were faced with this reality and they, they didn't know fully. They weren't actually guaranteed what 2 Timothy guarantees us yet. 
because it was yet to be written. But the Apostle Paul wrote this to Timothy, his disciple, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says this, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That if we desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus, we will suffer persecution. Essentially, he is promising, the Apostle Paul here is promising that persecution is connected to our promise. That if you want the promises of Jesus, you have to accept the persecution for Jesus. That these things, you can't disconnect them. And in fact, we would do an injustice as a faith community to invite people into the promises of Jesus without letting them know the subsequent sacrifices they're going to be required to make. It should be presented one and the same. The good news also includes some challenges. The good news, the gospel message of Jesus, also includes persecution. The fullness of this includes it. And Mary and Joseph may have predated this text, and yet they show a great understanding of this fact. They didn't get the warning, but they gave God their yes because they pre-decided, they predetermined that Jesus was going to be worth it. This little baby, he's worth it. It is worth being persecuted for the promise. And to continue the story, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 2, famous text here. Maybe you read this every single year with your family at Christmas, but we're only going to read the first part, and then we'll continue it on Christmas Eve. But in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. We understand censuses because they're still taken, right? Every 10 years in our country, there's a new census. Okay, how many people? Who's living where? What are the demographics? Same, same concept. But in order to do it, they had to organize and get everybody back to their hometowns. And the Roman Empire was trying to understand just how big they'd gotten, how vast they were, get the real scope of uh, their empire. And it says everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David, which we know is essential. That there was actually a prophetic declaration that Jesus was going to come in that line. We know that Joseph can actually trace his lineage all the way back to Adam. And the Bible does that. We see the lineage of Jesus all the way back and how he fits into the whole narrative. And so he goes back to that same town that David was from, that David got anointed king in and was called out of. And it says he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, and so I think it's important too, no one's done their ceremony yet. They're not married. They're pledged to be married. So this is a woman that they could not find anybody to officiate the ceremony. They, they, they were outcasts. They were not invited in to get married. There was nobody willing to put a blessing on their union. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There was no guest room available for them. 
And now you may read this story with familiar eyes and be like, I don't, I don't really see the persecution. It's kind of the cute story. Mary and Joseph, they knock on the innkeeper's door. There's an, this kind of mean, grumpy-looking innkeeper, and he answers the door and says, there's no room for you. And then they walk, and they're kind of like searching aimlessly, and they wander upon this beautiful uh, manger in this little barn scene with a star illuminating their path the whole way. And it's this perfect, quaint little biblical scene that makes me feel nice and cute and cozy on Christmas. Where is the persecution here, Jesus? But when you peel back our sort of Americanized view of this story, the Hollywood depictions, and we start to actually unearth what's really going on, if we do what Pastor Manny Orango challenged us to do, and we actually read this verse in context, and we understand what's going on, all of a sudden we're going to start to see that there's extreme persecution showed in this passage. But before we do that, let me break down the word persecution just a little bit better, okay? Because we hear that word and we're like, I think I have an understanding, like a basic idea. But the Hebrew and Greek words for persecute, actually, um, they're really connects to the verb pursuit, okay? Persecution is an action. This is talking about somebody actually pursuing your pain. This is somebody actively trying to minimize, ostracize, and push you away. This is somebody that wants, has ill will for you. And the persecution that scripture talks about is not just any pain that life brings. How many of you know just life has challenges? And sometimes we cause some pain. Can we just be honest? Every once in a while, we create the struggle. We're like, oh, I'm being persecuted right now. I was like, okay, you might be, but you also had a hand in that struggle. Whereas persecution is where challenges come up because you follow Jesus. This isn't just pain and struggle brought on by your mistakes. Rather, it's pain and struggles directly connected to following Jesus. So let me ask the question again in another way. Is Jesus worth the inevitable persecution from following him? Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? Is he worth it first if you lose relationships? Let's take a moment and let's look at this story with Mary and Joseph. Can we remember, Bethlehem's not a city. It's not a major hub. It's not this major um, place with all types of hotels and rentals. When, and actually, the right language isn't actually an inn. It's just there was no room for them. There was no guest rooms available for them. They were going home with all of their relatives. These are family members. These are relatives. These are aunts. These are uncles. These are brothers, these are sisters, these are moms, these are dads, these are cousins. And so there being no room available for them, this is not them being rejected by some stingy innkeeper. And can we just be honest for a second too, like put it in your minds, like this is just like any other society, pregnant women, it is to the advantage of the whole community to give the pregnant woman whatever she wants. This is a rule for all of society. If the pregnant woman wants it, we say yes. Right? You're just, yes. I still remember the first pregnancy we had. Renee was craving Leanne Chin. She had this hankering for Leanne Chin. When I say craving, I mean grabbing me by the hand. I must 
have Leanne Chin. And I looked in her eyes and I'm like, I'm not going to sleep until I get Leanne Chin. And I look and Leanne Chin is 12 minutes away from our house and it closes in 10. So what do I do? I'm speeding to Leanne Chin. Like I'm going to fly. Within one minute out the door, I get pulled over by the police. And he walks up. I say, woo, The policeman walks up to the car door and he goes, why were you speeding? And I said, officer, my wife is pregnant at home. She needs Leanne Chin. And now it closes in eight minutes. He literally says, say no more, follow me. And he turns his lights on and I follow, I get a police escort to Leanne Chin. Why? Because the whole world knows if the pregnant wife wants it, you give it to her. The answer is yes. So when Mary is needing a bed, can we realize how ridiculous it is that nobody said, here's mine? Could it be that the whole community knew about her? Could it be that the whole community had collectively decided, yeah, she's an outcast now. They weren't married and she's pregnant. Come on, like, and let's also give the community some slack. Like, who's believing like an angel impregnated me? I mean, like, that's, like, who's believing that story? Elizabeth dead because God spoke to her. But the community is going, hey, we've got laws. And the law says she's cut off. And when Joseph chose to stay with her, he stayed connected to that persecution. So here, right out the gate, the baby's not even born and the persecution's already there in the form of rejection from their closest relationships. This would be painful. This would be hurtful. This would be agonizing. But Jesus, he understood this concept. One, because he lived it. He was probably raised being disconnected from family members. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 53, when he was an adult actively ministering, he said this, they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. There's been a lot of people that have used this verse to be like, I don't get it. I thought Jesus came for unity and here he's talking about division. What he's talking about is the promise of persecution when you accept him, that there is even going to be family members that if you accept Jesus and you choose to follow his ways, you are cut off. You are out. That there's no relationship that is completely protected from possible persecution. That actually what he's talking about is not division amongst those who follow Jesus. He's talking about the division that's inevitable if you choose to follow Jesus to the world. So all the people who say yes to Jesus, there is division between Jesus' followers and the world. There is. And if you haven't experienced this yet, you, you maybe, I don't know, are you not telling people that you follow Jesus? Are you not letting them know? Can I tell you, there is something so powerful in today's world that is driven by social media when people let others know about their faith on social. When they post about their community of faith. When they talk openly about what God means to them. Now I think what's not very helpful is when we're really condemning on social and we feel really judgmental on social. But if you were to get really vulnerable and say this is what Jesus has done for my life. There's something so powerful about that. Saying, hey, I'm going public. This, I, I, I value my community of faith. Let me tell you about what's happening at Artisan Church and the community that we're building and why this matters and why I sacrifice and show up every Sunday and come throughout the week to different programs and formation um, opportunities and why this matters, going public with my faith. And when you do, 
it's inevitable. There's somebody who's going to try to cut you off because of it. It's going to be somebody who, who comes at you. And if it hasn't happened yet, it will. And it's promised. In Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 22, another thing Jesus said. He said, blessed are you when people hate you. I wish he hadn't said that. <laughs> and this part I really hate. Blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed are you when they exclude you. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I hate being excluded. How many of you guys got FOMO? You got FOMO. And you're like, do not exclude me. You can do whatever you want. Just, I better get invited. Like, I may turn you down, but you better want me at the party. Like, you got to let me know. I remember driving around as a kid. My mom was this way. Me and my mom share this in common. And there'd be a party going on. And she would genuinely be like, oh, why weren't we invited? I'm like, mom, we don't even know them. But we're like, we felt excluded because we're like, they're, they're having fun. We, we're fun. Why aren't we included? Like, and you're just like, for some of you, you just don't want to be excluded. And then there's others in the room that are like, please exclude me tomorrow, the next day. Exclusion's amazing. Just let me be an introvert. Let me be on my own. Well, then guess what? A lot of introverts, though, really struggle with slander because blessed are you when they insult you, when they exclude you. Blessed are you when they insult you. Blessed are you when they reject your name as evil. Guys, that's a whole sermon right there. There's something really challenging that when you pursue what is good, what is lovely, what is noble, what is true, what is pure, and the world flips it and calls you evil for it. That is persecution really at its fullest extent, where you're so misunderstood that you're actually called evil. But isn't that what happens to Jesus? The whole world actually goes, hey, we should put this guy to death. He's evil enough. Why? Because he's, he's bringing change. He's bringing a fresh message. This challenges our status quo. Like this is evil. Persecution as a, at its fullest extent was when you're actually called evil for serving Jesus. But blessed are you when you experience all of these things because of the Son of Man. Not blessed are you when you just willfully go and find it and try to create division and problems everywhere you go and being a problem person and then you call it spiritual. No, no, blessed are you that when because you serve Jesus, because you love Jesus, you experience exclusion, insults, rejection, all because of him, hatred. Next question, is he worth it if you lose wealth? Is he worth it if you lose wealth? Mary and Joseph are clearly cut off here. So their rejection of a place to stay, them being pushed out to this barn to give birth to their child, this is clear rejection, and it speaks to them being cut off. Now, in antiquity, the family unit was a really important thing. So, so for a lot of them, they would also, um, inheritance was massive, generational blessing was massive. And remember, Joseph is connected to the generational blessing going back to Abraham, okay? Like this guy is covered by a generational blessing. This guy is covered by this inheritance. He's covered. And in fact, because they were betrothed, likely Joseph had been spending months and months building a home for Mary. They would do this. They would have this betrothal period. Men, engagement was a lot harder. You didn't just have to figure out how to buy a ring. You had to build a house, okay, with your two hands. Come on, how many feel like we should go back to some of those days? Like, hey, build a home, and if you can build a house for her, you can have her. I like this idea. Babe, I'm going to remember this. Build her a home with your bare hands, and then come talk to me. I like this. That sounds like about what I need to see in order for someone to take my girls from me. But they had to build a house. 
And usually it was connected to their family estate. So they would add on essentially an expansion wing to the home because the, that son is going to inherit everything else. He's, gonna, he's a part of the inheritance. And, and they stuck together. I mean, let's just be honest. It was harder to survive just like literal survival, feeding, famines would come, disease would come, all this stuff would come at you. So for safety and strength, you would stay together as a family. And here they are cut off, not just from their wealth, their inheritance, the dowry, and their status. They're actually cut off also from money-making avenues. Because guess what? It's a small community. Nazareth is not a big place. When Jesus goes back, everyone, remember, everyone knew him. Who's this Jesus thinking he can preach to us? Like, isn't he just the son of Joseph? Everybody knows everybody. They're all up in each other's business. I mean, the gossip spreads quick in a place like that. Everyone knew. Everyone knew. So now their, their reputation is shot, which now even hurts their ability to make money. They are cut off from generational blessing, generational wealth, money-making avenues, inheritance, dowry, all of it, gone. And here they are, and they're in a barn giving birth. 1 Peter 3.17 reminds us, for it is better if it's God's will, don't miss that part, if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If it's God's will for me to suffer, I'm here for it. If it's his will that I gotta go through a challenge, I'm all right. Our theology has to give space for suffering inside of God's blessing, inside of God's promise. I've received his promise and I've still got challenges. I've received his promise and I'm still gonna go through some things. I've received his promise fully and I'm still gonna experience some persecution. In the end, am I, am I gonna experience? Absolutely. But I'm gonna go through some stuff. How many of you know money is far easier to gain than integrity? And integrity is hard to earn but it's easy to lose. And sometimes the persecution's gonna come in ways where we say, you know what, because of my integrity and because of my faith, I gotta say no to that opportunity. You can't say no to it, it's gonna, look at, look at all the money it's gonna make. Yeah, but I would have to, I'd have to hurt them to get ahead. And actually the Bible doesn't give me an allowance for actually knocking people down so I can get ahead. So actually my integrity's saying no to that. My integrity is saying no to those opportunities because guess what? Inter I've worked hard for my integrity and I actually place my integrity over my wealth. And so for me, this is more important. It's more valuable. And I've decided Jesus is worth it. Even if I lose my wealth, it's worth it to keep my integrity, that he's worth it to suffer, that he's worth it. Another question, is he worth it, church, if you lose your comfort? You may be like, that one doesn't sound very spiritual. Oh, I'm coming for you. <laughs> This one's spiritual, okay? We love our comfort, don't even. Everyone's got their thing. Everyone's got some type of comfy situation that you go to, okay? We love our comfort. And here's the reality. Let's look at this situation. Mary and Joseph were not comfortable. This was not a cute scenario, Okay, this is not sweet. Now, all I can think about, I couldn't stop thinking about this week. I'm going, wait a second. Joseph is the delivery nurse. Like, he's the one helping if help is needed. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't do well in, in these situations, okay? Renee would have been in trouble if this was my job. 
I did not handle the birth room very well. I did not handle those situations very well. I almost fainted. I almost passed out multiple times. I couldn't handle the smells. I couldn't handle the blood. I couldn't handle all the stuff. I couldn't handle it. Okay? And when I first held the baby, all I thought is you're sticky. Like you're just, <sighs> can, can we bathe her first? <laughs> like, why are you handing me a goopy child? Like, there's a tub right there. <laughs> like we could, like I don't. I didn't like it. So, so you put it in the situation, there's a barn. What are you washing it off in a food trough? I'm picturing a cow like licking Mary while she's screaming, you know? Animals are weird and they smell and there's flies and there's dust and hay is not clean. Don't picture some cute little hay scene. Hay is filthy. Hay is full of bugs and nasty. Like, I mean, this is, this is not a clean situation. This is not a comfortable situation. But some of us are willing to do a lot for God as long as our comfort remains intact. Because for many of us, our comfort is actually something we go to to escape. It's where we actually feel safe in our comfortable situations. Church, can I remind us, though, that 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak... I am strong. When you're weak is not when you feel the most comfortable sometimes. When you're going through all of these things, these are all things that come at your comfort. I mean, don't make you feel comfy. But church, constant comfort is never healthy. Constant states of comfort is never healthy. And I'm just going to be honest with you. It seems like when I look at all the narratives of lives played out in Scripture, that people who avoided the sacrifices that Jesus was asking them to because they wanted to stay comfortable, God usually would remove their comfort and wait until they got uncomfortable enough to say yes. Because there are moments where you're gonna have to say, you know what, I'm gonna lay down my comfort. This year, next summer, we're gonna be taking a missions trip as a church. And I'm gonna encourage you to go if you've never been. One of the things I love about mission trips, I love watching people lay down their comfort for a week and say, you know what, I'm gonna put comfort aside. My needs don't matter. And you can watch how tangibly different your faith feels when you're not sedated by the comforts of the world. It sedates you. It numbs you. Let's be honest. And there's nothing inherently wrong with being comfortable unless it's constant comfort. And it's never healthy. If you're constantly in comfy clothes, come on, nothing wrong with getting comfy. My wife and I, we're going to get home today. And the first thing we do is we get comfy, okay? Nothing wrong with that. But how many of you know if I always came, not just cozy after Christmas, but I came every Sunday in comfy clothes, some of you guys would be like, he's a little slobby. Like, he's a little slobby. Like, I, you know what? He's a great preacher. I mean, this good content. Like, that's fine. But, like, I don't know if I can handle the fact he can't put himself together. Some of you would have a problem with that. Because if you're always comfy, you're a little slobby, right? If we don't actually dress sometimes and clean ourselves up and pull ourselves together and do that, it's a mark actually usually of even some unhealth. If you're always on the couch, it's lazy. Nothing wrong with being on the couch. But if I'm always going to that comfortable place and falling in love with it, I go home, drop on the couch, and I don't get up until I have to go to bed. That's laziness. If we're always eating comfy food... Man, I love comfy food. This time of year, everything's warm and heavy and dense and like gravies and sauces and cookies. And ooh, I love it. How many guys are at least a dozen Christmas cookies in already? I'm past a dozen, okay? But if you're always eating comfy food, are you going to be healthy? No. 
The reality is there is comfortability that at times you're gonna need to sacrifice. And is Jesus worth it if your comfort is asked, is required of you to lay it down? Next one, the last one. Invite Brittany and Leah to come on up, the keys player. Is he worth it if you lose your home? Is he worth it if you lose your home? Now, this might seem similar to comfort. Like, well, my home, my house, it's comfortable. But ask, ask yourself the question real quick. What is home to you? It's, it's interesting. Have you ever had these conversations with people? Everybody answers a little differently. Sometimes people are like, it's home when we're all together. And all together is this person, this person, this person, this person. When we're all together, it's home. So the problem with that is eventually you're going to lose somebody. Does it still feel like home when grandma's not there? Does it still feel like home when dad's not there? Does it still feel like home when they're not there? For some of us, home is a place. You've really put down roots and there's, there's value in this. Hopefully you're working hard. There's a craving of our soul to, to build a home, to, to, to call some land maybe your own. And even there's so much studies that have been done that actually living on a little bit of land is so good for your soul. It's good for your mind. It's good for your heart. There's, there's so many benefits. Why? I mean, we were literally made from the dirt. We are connected to God's creation. There's something cathartic about going for a walk in the woods and getting out. And, and maybe there's land or a space or something that you call home. Maybe it's a different state. You're not from Minnesota, but when you pull into the, that state, you just know there's something homey about it. I don't know what home is to you, but what we find is Jesus wants to break down our view of home a little bit. None of that's inherently wrong or bad, but is he worth it if what feels like home is taken? Maybe your family's gone through a foreclosure and every time you drive by that house, you're like, that house was home, but it's not anymore. Somebody else is in it. We lost our home. We went through something challenging. Mary and Joseph were cast out from their home. They were rejected from their home. Jesus said this about himself. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And really, when you understand what he's talking about, he's saying, on this side of eternity, this isn't home. I'll come and establish home when I come back. But on this side of eternity, the only place I feel home is in the presence of God. This is why our vision statement at Artisan says, bringing people home to the heart of God. There's a lot of verses that back that. One verse is John 14, 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. By the way, that goes back to a few weeks ago where we talked about both relationship and religion. Anyone who loves me and wants relationship with me will sacrifice and obey my teaching, religion. It's right there. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Then my father will love them. And we will come to them and we'll make our home with them. We'll make our home with them. He's saying, I want to redefine home for you. I want to make you portable. I want to get you to a place where I can send you anywhere in the world and you can find home. I want to get you to a place where the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're all you need. We got you covered. We'll make our home with you. We're going to take care of you. But is Jesus worth it if you've lost your home? There's a breakdown. It doesn't feel the same. Maybe even part of you losing your home was you lost a relationship. You got cut off. 
That relationship fell apart because of the decisions you chose to make by following Jesus. So let me ask again. Is the person and promises of Jesus worth the persecution? Is the person of Jesus worth the persecution? Mary and Joseph said yes before he'd even done a thing for them. And now we're living on the other side of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Is he worth it, church? Is Jesus worth your life? Is he worth any persecution that might come because you said yes to his promise? And I want to leave that question to you as we worship. They're going to sing a song, and I want you to stay seated for a moment. Just have a moment and really ask yourself this question. Don't give yourself the easy, quick yes. Really ask yourself, is he worth it? Is he worth it? Let's worship. Let's sing. And let's ask ourselves that question in prayer.